The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. for the welcome. Uh, welcome to this series on this th- great theme of Jubilee, this vision series, and we're looking at the incredible uh, promise that God puts forward through the Messiah, Jesus Christ, that this is a day of good news, a day of favour, and uh, particularly today we're thinking about the good news of Jesus Christ being something that we can share with those around us. Remember that uh, paraphrase of the little phrase that Jesus uses, it's a day when salvation and the free favours of God profusely abound. Doesn't that sound like a day of good news? And we are now commissioned to share that good news. Right now we are washing our hands furiously and not shaking hands to avoid sharing bad news like never before. And today we're thinking about opening our hearts and opening our mouths to share good news like never before. Don't you think our world could do with the good news of Jesus Christ more than ever? And our job is to be the links in the chain to share that good news. And when we do, have you noticed that good news travels fast? Right? Good news travels fast when we are links in the chain. It's amazing how quickly the good news of Jesus Christ can spread. Uh, just to illustrate with a more trivial example, a few, uh, a few years ago actually a friend uh, said to me, he phoned me up and he said that there was a, a pub in a quite a, out of the way rural location, a pub, but known for good food that was doing an offer of a two for one uh, gourmet burger and a beer. I mean if there's a two for one on a burger and a beer you're going to be there right? So he shared the good news with me and uh, I went and experienced the good news, I was converted on the spot uh, by the burger and the beer and then I, uh, the next day, that, then the following evening I thought I I thought of a friend of mine, I'm going to phone him and tell him about it. So I phoned him up, and uh, I phoned him up, but I could hardly hear him speak, because there was such a racket in the background. I said, where are you? And he said, I'm in the pub. There's a great offer on (laughs) a burger and a beer. And someone else had told him the good news before I'd even got to it, right? Good news travels fast. Now, if that's true for a burger and a beer, how much more important it is that we share the good news of Jesus Christ with a dying and needy world around us. This good news can travel fast, but we must be the links in the chain. And in Luke 4, Jesus, as he announces this good news, this day of jubilee, he says this, he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the good news. So Jesus himself was a herald, a preacher, a proclaimer of the gospel of good news. But then he called aside the 12 that were following him and he said, I've been preaching the good news, now you go and preach the good news. And then in Luke 10, which we're going to look at today, he calls 72 of his followers. And he says, I've been preaching the good news, the 12 have been preaching the good news, now all of you go and share the good news. 
In other words, it's not just that Jesus is anointed by the Spirit to proclaim the good news. That same Holy Spirit that anointed Jesus anoints us to share the good news like never before. Amen? So the title, the headline for our message, if you like, this morning is simply this. We're anointed by the Spirit to share the good news of Jesus like never before. And I want to draw on that occasion in Luke chapter 10, where Jesus, having proclaimed that it's a day of jubilee, gathers well, I think probably the majority of his followers, we'll come on to that in a moment, and says, now because it's such a day of good news, all of you have a part to play in sharing it. We must share the good news of Jesus Christ like never before. Here's a reading then that we're going to draw on a few practical points of how can we be part of the links in the chain that share the good news of Jesus Christ. We read this in Luke chapter 10. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others... And sent them out two by two ahead of him to go to every town and place where he was about to go. And he told them this, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals, and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Now stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. But when you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you, heal those who are ill, and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town we wipe away from our feet as a warning to you. Be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. So off they go, and skipping down a few verses, we read this. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And Jesus replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Well, Jesus commissions the 72, and today he commissions us to share the good news like never before. And I want to bring five points, all beginning with M. I hope you appreciate the effort I put in to get them all to begin with M. How forced and contrived this may appear. But we're going to go for it. Firstly, we have a mission. Okay, can we say that together? We have a mission. Jesus announces to his followers, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Notice his summing of the situation then is there's a tremendous opportunity. The harvest is plentiful, but the problem is there aren't enough workers to go and share the good news. Isn't it interesting that as Jesus assesses the situation, he thinks not that the world is the problem, but that his followers are the problem. (laughs) That's interesting, isn't it? Because it's easy as the followers of Jesus to criticise the world, but I think Jesus thinks that the world is just a great opportunity for mission. The challenge is mobilising his people onto that mission. Now, Jesus was reflecting on this, of course, in first century Palestine, and you may be thinking to yourself, well, in 21st century Peterborough, wherever you're watching this, does that logic still hold, right? I mean, back there and then, they didn't have technologically advanced societies, and they weren't, if you like, as, as, uh, as intellectually advanced as we are. And so maybe the good news of Jesus 
there was a great opportunity for it there back in the first century. But now we've got Netflix and we've got Nando's. I'm not sure people still need Jesus, right? (laughs) Well, wrong, actually. (laughs) I think if Jesus was speaking to a 21st century crowd, he would still be able to say the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. The problem hasn't fundamentally changed. It's still a supply and demand problem, right? There's plenty of demand for good news today. The challenge is the supply, is helping his people feel mobilized for that mission. And and before you believe, if you like, the media narrative that would almost bully us off the game here, there is a media narrative that says, well, you know, people have moved on from religion, they don't need that anymore, we're all too sophisticated and advanced for that. Actually, that's not the truth. I think so often the media does not represent the masses. Would you agree? That those who are holding the microphone in the media are often the rather cynical intellectual elites who do not represent the silent majority who actually are still pretty, pretty, pretty much needing the good news of Jesus as ever before. And when, um, when therefore surveys are done, we discover things that surprise us. You may be familiar with the Talking Jesus research that we've drawn on as a church before. And this research was interesting, wasn't it? Because it still suggested that over 40% of people in the UK believe in the resurrection of Jesus. 67% of people in the UK say that they know a Christian personally. So we are incredibly well connected. And when asked, what do you think of that Christian that you know? And at that point, you sort of hold your breath thinking, oh gosh, yeah, what do people think of Christians? Actually, it was words like kind and generous and honest that summed up their impression. So I would suggest that makes us very well connected and very well thought of, which is surprising. And around one in five people in the UK said that they would like to know more about Jesus Christ. Isn't that extraordinary? The harvest is plentiful. The challenge is that the workers are few. And so the Lord of the harvest today is busy mobilizing his people to share the good news like never before. It's for us to take up the challenge and to, to recognize the truth. We have a mission. Jesus Christ calls us on mission because there is a desperate need in our nation for good news like never before, and so we must share it. And I actually think this opportunity, I can't prove this, but I, I think this opportunity will only get greater as society plays itself out because I, I think that secularism is going to face more of a crisis of its own making than we realize. The secular narrative is riddled with contradiction and it is currently soaring off the very branch that it's sitting on. And the emperor's got no clothes, right? And digital capitalism and secular humanism are eroding all sense of meaning and connectivity and purpose from our lives and people are therefore dying for lack of meaning and hope. There is loneliness and anxiety like an epidemic sweeping our Western nations. And I think as a result, the the opportunity to share the, the reliable, hopeful, joyful good news of Jesus is only going to increase. Amen? Well, into that kind of context then, Jesus effectively scrambles. I think the 72 is, is in a sense him scrambling almost everyone he's got and saying, you are all on mission. In Luke 9, he'd already sent the 12, but have you noticed that 72 is a bigger number than 12, right? We could all go with that one. And the the logic there being, if he'd only sent the 12, we might have thought, well, mission is something for an elite group within the Christian faith. You know, the kind of apostles and the ordained and the educated and those who've been to theological college, they are the ones who do mission. But Jesus effectively says, I don't want you to think of it like that, so let's get everyone together and say, now all of you go in mission. 
We are all on mission for Jesus. It doesn't matter whether you have qualifications. It doesn't matter, in fact, how long you have or haven't been following Jesus. If you are a Jesus follower today, you are mobilized today into his mission. And part of the challenge then is to take on that responsibility and own it for ourselves. Who is our patch? Sorry, where is our patch? And who are our people that we are to reach on mission for Jesus? And all of us actually give a different answer to that question. And that's precisely why it's so powerful when we all own the answer and get on with it in our own backyard. I remember when I was at university, I think, to be honest, I think it was only when I was at university I really actually got this for the first time. And I remember going to a talk at the Christian Union, and it was a talk on mission. And it wasn't that the person said anything particularly clever or new, but they just said, our friends need Jesus. What are you going to do about it? It was just a question. But for some reason, that question, what am I going to do about it, kind of lodged in my soul as I walked home. And I began to actually ask that question. Like, what, right, Andrew, what are you going to do about it? Like, you have a responsibility here. What practically are you doing? And I think it must have been around... um, Shrove Tuesday, actually. Uh, I smiled because I, I can't really make pancakes, but I tried to make some pancakes for a few of my friends at university as my response to the question, what am I going to do about it? I invited them around and I shared my story of how I'd come to know Jesus with them and invited them, do, do you want to read, I think it was Mark's Gospel, do you want to read Mark's Gospel with me and uh, hear a bit about the, the person who I feel has transformed my life? Well, um, of those who came for pancakes, I think only two of them actually wanted to read Mark's Gospel. But we went on a journey together, and interestingly, right at the end, I didn't know this, but one of the guys called Steve, uh, he was in a really difficult place. He was, he was putting on all the bravado to make sure no one realised this, but he was depressed and really struggling. And actually, as we began reading Mark's Gospel, it began a journey for him. Three years later, I got the privilege, after I'd spoken actually at an event, I got the privilege of him coming to the front, and I, just, I thought he'd just come to see me as a friend, and he actually said, I want to give my life to Jesus, and he knelt down, we knelt down on the floor together and prayed for him to put his faith in Jesus Christ. Well, it takes time, right? Uh, just two weeks ago, I went up to Scotland actually mountain climbing with these two guys that were part of this pancake. I think you can see them on the screen here, but these guys, um, there we are, uh, up in the highlands of Scotland. The point is, I'm still on a journey with them. Steve, one of them, has come to the faith in Jesus. The, my other friend has not yet, but still witnessing and praying for my friends to come to know Jesus Christ, because I have to give an answer to the question, what am I going to do about it, right? So can I ask you that question? What are you going to do about those that you are on mission for in Jesus' name? Well, we have a mission. Secondly, we have a method. Jesus is, did you notice, he's not just a motivational speaker. Jesus gets very practical with his disciples. Did you see this? It's very detailed. Do not take a purse with you when you go. Uh, Don't turn aside on the road and greet people. Um, When you go into someone's house, speak peace and heal the sick. He gets very practical and very specific. In other words, we don't just have a mission, we have a method. Now, of course, things have changed. Jesus is not physically with us now on earth, and so how we apply this method has to be a bit different. And I always find, just generally when I'm reading the Bible, I find two questions are helpful to do this. The first is what, and the second is now what. So I always think it's helpful to go back and think, so what did this mean back there and then? And then when you answer that question, you can come forward and say, now what? Now what does this mean here and now? Right? It's pretty simple, isn't it? Double sort of movement. Sometimes we've got to go back and say, what did it mean there and then? And then we can bring it forward and say, so what is the, now what does this mean here and now? So Jesus, for example, says, when you go on mission, don't take a purse with you. 
right? Well, let's go back and say, what did that mean there and then? Well, in the ancient world, where there wasn't a hole in the wall or online banking, right? If you didn't take your purse with you, you were, you were without the resource that you needed. And therefore, you could not become self-reliant because you didn't have what you needed. You had to rely on God and his provision. Well, with that principle in mind, we can come forward and say, now what does this mean for us? I think what this means for us is, you're never going to have enough and feel like you've got it all sorted before you go on mission for Jesus, right? If you sit around waiting until you've answered all the questions and you know everything you need to know, you'll never go. Precisely the opposite, the point is, go without all that you need and become God-reliant and he'll give you what you need as you go. And I found some of the people who've, who actually haven't been Christians for, I think of a friend called George who came to faith in Jesus and then he just couldn't stop sharing the good news of Jesus. And I remember him saying to me once, when they ask me difficult questions and I can't answer them, I just say, come on Alpha. <laughs> that was it. It's like it, it, the fact that he didn't know everything didn't stop him from going, right? Don't take a purse with you. Don't be self-reliant. Be God-reliant. And then Jesus also says, and when you go, don't greet people on the way. Well, we need to go back to answer what that means because otherwise we might think Jesus is saying, be rude. <laughs> be rude when you go on. No, it doesn't mean that. In the ancient Eastern culture, hospitality was such a value that a greeting wasn't just a handshake. We're not even doing that these days. But it wasn't just a handshake. It was a come on in, spend the night, have dinner, right? So the ancient greeting of hospitality could be enough to mean that you turned aside and never got to where you were going. So what does that mean for us today? Well, we mustn't be distracted from the call to mission. We'll find as we go on mission that there are other opportunities and distractions that will compete for our attention. And Jesus is saying you must be quite single-minded here and make sure you actually get to sharing the good news of Jesus. So what does that mean? Well, I, I was thinking the other day, the other, a few weeks back of... I was going to watch the rugby uh, with some people at the local rugby club, uh, which wasn't an environment I, I particularly was familiar with, or I didn't really know many people there, and I wasn't, that wasn't perhaps the most comfortable place. And I got a text from a couple of Christian friends saying, do you want to come around and watch the rugby? And that, that would have been a much more comfortable place to go and watch it, right? But I wanted to sort of put myself out there. And you get these moments where you're distracted, or you say, no, no, I'm on mission for Jesus. I'm going to put myself out there in order to connect with people who need to hear the good news of Jesus. And then Jesus says, when you go into someone's house, he says, greet them with the peace, and heal the sick. In other words, I think he's saying, you make sure that you are good news before you start talking about the good news. When a Jesus follower comes into a new place, that place should become more blessed because they've come into it, right? And so Jesus is speaking here about, about that blessing mentality that we've talked about. And I just want to encourage us again to keep asking that question on a daily basis. Lord, show me who I can bless today in Jesus' name. Isn't that a good question to set up your day? Because it reminds us that along with all the other things on my to-do list, that is one of the things on my list. I must be a blessing today in Jesus' name. And when we remind ourselves of that, we then go out with eyes to see the opportunities that arise. I, Charlotte and I were praying this, that very prayer, as we try and do most days, and uh, on one particular occasion, as she went out, she happened to bump into someone who's actually a friend of mine, uh, but he was in a really bad place, and I hadn't realised that his life had fallen apart in different ways, and so, you know, she connected him back to me, and I was able to meet up with him, and, and he's in a really challenging place, but then all of a sudden you've got this opportunity to be a blessing in Jesus' name. Here was a guy, and he, you know, he couldn't sleep at night because of the sheer levels of anxiety he was facing. 
And so in the end, I, I um, said to him, well, why don't you, seeing as you've tried alcohol and that hasn't helped, and you've tried medication and that doesn't seem to be working, why not try prayer, right? I mean, and I said, well, try the Lord's Prayer. And maybe, you know, you never know. This guy has no, absolutely no religious background whatsoever. Well, anyway, the next time I caught up with him, he said, um, he, he actually swore. I always think it's interesting when people that you've sh- shared the good news of Jesus with start swearing. That's always a good sign. That means it's really, it's got somewhere, right? <laughs> it's impacted their thinking. They're swearing now. That's a good thing. Uh, and, <laughs> and, and he swore, and, he, and, and, he, and as he swore, he said, uh, what was that prayer? He said, what, what was that prayer? What was that prayer? And I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, when I prayed it, he said, after I prayed it, he said, all of a sudden, I felt like this incredible stuff, like warm peace stuff, was started pushing down through from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet, and then it came back up again, and I had the first good night's sleep that I've ever had since this whole crisis. <laughs> share, share the peace, right? Share the peace that Jesus brings. And now that's the opening, obviously, for an ongoing journey, sharing the detail of the good news of Jesus. The point is, Jesus gets quite practical. We have a method. He says, go in pairs. Don't go alone, right? This is practical stuff that we can apply in the way that we share the faith. We just need to go back and say, what did it mean there and then? We can bring it forwards and say, now, what does it mean here and now? We have a method, and if we would attend to that method. Well, let me put it in the words of the great Billy Graham, who's now no longer with us, but he, he, he said this, and think about this, because Billy Graham was known for the big events. He said this, if every believer followed this pattern the church could reach the entire world within with the gospel in one generation mass crusades will never finish the great commission but a one by one ministry will notice what he's saying it's very humble actually because what he's really saying is it's actually not about more billy grahams it's about more of everyone on mission with this method for jesus well, thirdly, we have a mission, we have a message, uh, sorry, a, a method. Thirdly, we have a message to share. You see, as well as being the good news, there is a particular message of good news that we then also need to be able to convey. And uh, you may have heard the famous saying from, uh, allegedly from St. Francis of, of Assisi, who famously is thought to have said, um, preach the gospel, the good news, preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. Have you, have you ever heard that sort of cute little saying? I mean, it is a cute little saying, but it doesn't really work, does it? When you understand that the gospel is a message. So you can't mime it, (laughs) you've got to speak it, and that involves words, right? I mean, think of, imagine someone, a a BBC presenter was about to go into the studio to deliver the six o'clock news, right? Imagine that was, they were about to go through and you whispered to them, give the news and if necessary, use words, And they think, well, that sounds cute and clever, but what does that mean, right? I've got to give a message. How am I going to do that without using words? How are you and I going to share the good news of Jesus without opening our mouths and speaking words of truth? That is part of our calling, as well as being a blessing, we are to speak the good news. And so when they went out, the the, uh, 72, we read this in verse 6, they set out proclaiming the good news. Just as Jesus said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, he's anointed me to proclaim the good news. Now they went out opening their mouths and proclaimed the good news. And then later the apostle Paul in Romans 10 says, asked a pertinent question, how can they hear without someone preaching to them? 
Now, don't confuse preaching with what I'm doing right now on a stage. He doesn't mean stage preaching. He just means proclamation, opening mouth, communicating truth in a compelling way. That is part of our calling. That's actually the idea behind this idea that we have a gospel, the announcement of good news. That requires a herald, which is our job, to proclaim the good news. That idea, I mean, is illustrated wonderfully by a a famous battle that took place, the Battle of Marathon, when the the Greeks were being attacked by the Persians, and that the city of Athens was therefore terrified because their army had gone out to the Battle of Marathon, uh, and they were unsure of the outcome, but assuming the Persians beat the Greeks, they were about to be overrun as a city and taken captive, right? So the battle's taking place over here. The city is over here, terrified. But it turned out that the Greeks won the battle, right? So there's good news over here on the battlefield, but the city doesn't know it. And so they sent a herald, a runner, in order to deliver the gospel news, we won, to the city that doesn't know it. I'll leave you to work out how far it was from the Battle of Marathon to the city of Athens, right? That's where we get the marathon race from. Because he ran his 26 miles and he announced, to the, and it, the, the story goes, maybe apocryphal, but the herald ran into the city of Athens and said, rejoice, we are saved. And then he fell down and died under the exhaustion of the race. I don't know if that bit is true or not, but what is true is that's the idea of the herald then. You know about some announcement that must be made to people for whom it will be good news. Jesus Christ has died and rose again to bring us decisive victory into our human story. He has defeated the power of death. He has provided forgiveness for sin. He can break the anxiety. He can take away the loneliness and bring us into a community of those who are saved, right? That's the announcement of good news, but that must be taken to those who don't yet know it. And that's the idea of being a herald of the gospel. It's our job to take that good news. And of course, if you are aware of good news that is relevant to other people, of course, the kindest thing to do would be to share it, right? Luke, who's writing Luke's gospel, is a doctor. Maybe he was thinking of this in medical terms and thinking, if there was some kind of disease that people were suffering from and you discovered the the, the cure, the infallible cure to that disease... Well, you, what would you do? <laughs> you would share the good news like never before, right? Because you have something that other people need. And that's the idea of the message that we have. It's a good news message that we must share in every way that we can. Let me give you just very quickly, just quick fire, a few tips on what this looks like when I try and share the good news. Firstly, I encourage you to start where people are at. Start where people are at. I often ask a question if I'm sharing the good news and I'm not really sure where the person's at I'm sharing. I often say something like, what's the most challenging thing going on for you right now? And that little question so often reveals where that person is really at in life and that's the best place to start from. But then secondly, win the person, not the argument. I have to remind myself of this because by nature I can be quite argumentative, as you could probably imagine. Uh, But my job is not to win the argument, but to win the person. And sometimes actually backing down from the argument and just saying, do you know what, I've got questions as well. And sometimes I'll say something like, I've still got questions. I'm a Christian, I've still got questions. I've just found that Jesus is someone I can trust with the answers. Right? So I'm not trying to just batter away and win the argument. My job is to win the person. And then thirdly, break down stereotypes. I find so often that what stops people understanding the good news of Jesus is not the good news of Jesus, but it's what they think the message is about. Have you experienced this? 
so many stereotypes. And so it can be helpful sometimes to find ways to step back from the stereotypes. And, and, and I often think your story, my story, is one of the best things here. If we can explain how Jesus has been such good news for us personally, it opens people's hearts that it could be that for them too. So your story of knowing Jesus is one of the most powerful things that you have to share in conversation. But equally, I was speaking to someone, and this happens to me quite a lot actually, I often find people when they understand, particularly when they know what I do for a job, they'll say something like, oh I'm not religious, or I don't believe in God. And I don't, often I don't let that just go, I, I, I often try a follow up, and if someone says I don't believe in God particularly, I'll often say, well what, tell me what God don't you believe in? <laughs> And then they'll just often describe a God that I can honestly say, well, I don't believe in that God either, right? That isn't, and, then, and then that leads on to the next point, which is then you can tell a story that reimagines God. You can tell, I had this conversation just, just a couple of weeks ago with someone, and, I, and I, when I was able to say I don't believe in the God that you are describing either, that, so that I don't think that God exists either, I was able to say, but I'll tell you a bit about the God that I do believe in. And I actually shared the story of the prodigal son, which is a great little go-to story to reimagine this God who, like a father with his wayward son, runs out to meet him, offering an opportunity for complete reconciliation. And it's like, that's a different kind of God to the one that you ever thought existed. And then finally, give a simple next step. You've had a good conversation with someone. I always encourage you to think, what, what is the thing that you can leave them with that means it's not pressure, that's never helpful, but it is a next step. I try and have a copy of Mark's Gospel with me and I'll often just say something like, here's a biography of the person that's changed my life, would you have a read and let me know what you think? Well, I mean, that's pretty straightforward, isn't it? Why, why, you know, what's, pro- what's the problem with that? It's not pressured, but it's an invitation to explore the message of Jesus. We have a mission. We have a method and we do have a message to share. And even though we may be low in confidence, I want to encourage you, take what you have, the story of your life with Jesus Christ, and pray this week, God, would you give me an opportunity to share that message of good news in some small, simple way. Well, fourthly, we not only have a a mission, a method, a message, we have a mandate as well. The harvest is plentiful, we have a great opportunity, but Jesus is very um, honest about the challenge that we face as well. He says in verse 3, go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. That's very honest, isn't it? He's very honest with us, there will be opposition, and it won't always be easy. And don't let that phase you, right? Do you notice he says to the 72, when people don't receive the message, that's fine, just move on, but don't give up, right? So he's he's, he's being honest here, there's a real challenge. And that would have been true in the first century for these disciples, it's true for us in the 21st century. We We are, there is genuine opposition and challenge to sharing the good news of Jesus, I get it. But our mandate is remarkable. Jesus, when they returned from sharing the good news, he said this regarding their, what had happened while they were busy sharing the good news. He says uh, in verse 18, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority. Isn't that remarkable that whilst they were out in their weakness and feebleness, doing the little things that they could do, eating meals with people, laying hands on people who were sick, speaking out the good news as best they understood it. While they were doing their weak, feeble things, Jesus said, while you were doing that in the earthly realm, in the heavenly realm, I saw Satan fall. 
I saw Satan take a tumble from his position of power as you went out in your weakness. Why? Well, because he says, I have given you authority. Isn't that extraordinary? That we have the authority of Jesus Christ. And that means that when we do our weak, feeble things, nevertheless, as we do those things with faith and with the authority of Jesus, darkness begins to fall and light shines. Amen? We have the authority of Jesus. I, I wonder if you, you know, if you understand what that means. I was thinking about this yesterday. I don't know if any of you were watching the rugby yesterday as uh, England, I think, beat Wales, actually, as it turns out. And, um, and yet, at the very end of the game, uh, this tiny little referee, have you seen these occasions? These tiny little referees in rugby um, t- t- pull, calls over one of these monsters that play the game these days, and he holds out a little piece of red paper, and the monster walks off the pitch very obediently. Have you seen this? It happened yesterday, right? What is that? That is authority, right? The referee doesn't have power over this other player, but he has authority. As he holds up that card, he is representing the entire rugby football union and saying, on that basis, you must go. (laughs) And they do, right? And this is Jesus' point. The disciples return from their mission and they say, Lord, even the demons submit to us. And that's Jesus' point. Yes, of course they do. I've given you authority. You have a mandate that is nothing less than the authority of the one to whom all authority has been given. And when you lift up the name of Jesus, and when you speak out your story in Jesus' name, and when you place your hands on the sick, you are not just holding up a piece of paper, you are holding up the authority of all of heaven. So go with the confidence that we have a mandate, we've been given authority in Jesus' name. Now all of that leads to the final M, we have a motivation. The final point is a motivation point. You see, you'd think that would be the motivation. Look at the power we have. And Jesus says to the disciples, no, no, no. He senses a little bit of pride in them and he says, no, no, don't confuse your mandate with your motivation. I'll tell you what your motivation is. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Our motivation is not that we go in order to generate some great story about how powerful and influential we are. Our motivation is that Jesus Christ has saved us. When we were the worst of people, Jesus Christ did his best for us. Amen? Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Our motivation is that we, have never, we, we never get over the fact that he's loved us and saved us even to death on the cross. And so Jesus says to these guys, listen guys, don't let your motivation be about what you can do. Let your motivation be this, your names are written in heaven. Now in that ancient culture, to have your name written on a list was to be quite significant, quite influential. Probably many of this 72 didn't have their names on the list of important people, even in their own town. But Jesus says to them, you may not have your name on your list in your town, but your name is written by my Father in heaven. And and notice he doesn't say it will be written if you do enough of this kind of door knocking and mission work and all of that. No, 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 you're not earning it. It's a gift of grace that's already been given. Your name is written. Let that be the motivation for why we share the good news of Jesus like never before. Your name is written in heaven. What a thought that is, that, that one day when all of this life is over and we enter into the life to come, We will come before Almighty God and find that he's got our name in his book. (laughs) Isn't that an amazing thought? 
I, I stay in hotels reasonably regularly with work, and sometimes, and normally they're not, I don't book the hotel, it's booked by the office, and so I turn up. And I don't know about you, if, you, if this is part of your world, but I, it's always a slightly nervous moment when you turn up at the counter and you sort of speak out your name and you hope that the reservation has actually been made, right? And that there is a room key for you, and they were expecting you, and your name is on the list, right? You actually have a place where you belong. It's always a, a, a small relief when there is, yes, it's, it's all lined up. I remember going not that long ago, and I, and I spoke out my name, and she looked, and she scanned the list, and there was a longer pause than you would like, and then she looked up and she said, I'm sorry, sir, there is no reservation under that name. Fortunately, there'd been a mix-up, and these days you can sort that out quite quickly on booking.com or whatever. But the fact is, it goes right through you, that feeling of, they weren't expecting me. There, there isn't a place here for me. Folks, can I say to you, When you stand before Almighty God, I want you and I personally to know the privilege and the joy of knowing that our names are written in his book. There is a place in our Father's house for us. We are expected and we are welcomed in. On the one hand, we need to know that privilege and that's the motivation for why we share the good news of Jesus like, ever, like never before. We want our friends, we want our colleagues and our neighbours to also know that their name is written in the book. That's why we give our pounds and invest in the kingdom. Amen? That's why we say our prayers and intercede on behalf of others. That's why we go practically on mission stepping out of our comfort zone to share the good news of Jesus like never before. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Lord of the harvest, mobilize all of us into mission in Jesus' name. Amen.